Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 6 of Thank You Places, the official podcast of Ghostlight Players of Metro West. I'm Jacob C. McDonald. I'm recording the intro of today's episode solo, uh, just to switch things up on you. Chris will be doing the outro, and if you play the intro and outro on top of each other, you will reveal a highly secret and completely incomprehensible message. On today's episode, we'll be playing a conversation that Chris and I had with Lori Rabbler, who is the costume designer of Hamlet, and we discuss a lot of the aspects of creating the costumes, workshopping the costumes as the rehearsal process goes on, what her, her thoughts and hopes are for this new iteration of the show as it relates to what everyone is wearing. We'll also talk about grammar and drag queens, because... Of course. A quick note about the things you'll be hearing. We recorded the interview in a Starbucks, who is not sponsoring this podcast, but perhaps should be. So there is a lot of noise in the background. We hope that that will enhance and not detract from your listening experience. You will also probably feel the presences, but not hear any of the sounds of several members of the cast who just happened to be in the Starbucks with us. Apparently, it's a place that artists go. Who knew? Another note, if you are enjoying this podcast, and we hope that you are, because it's something that we have really wanted to do for a long time, and because it gives you a look into this wonderful project that we are so pouring our hearts and souls into. We hope that you will let us know how much you are enjoying by uh, tweeting at us. We are at GL Players, uh, posting on our Facebook or our Instagram, or, and this is essential, by leaving us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. This not only lets us know what we're doing right and what you'd like to hear more of, but also helps other podcast listeners who might not be from the area or might not know about Ghostlight yet to find our podcast and to enjoy it just as much as you do. So um, without any further ado, I will throw us to a Starbucks in a distant time about a week ago with Lori Rabbler, Chris, and myself. Awesome. So, um, what at what point and how did you become a costume designer? And then we can get into how you became this costume designer. Well, I um, I've always been able to sew. Which, when dance companies needed costumes, I was a dancer, and they found that out, and that led to costume dance companies. And then I was studying in London and landed a, an internship at the National Theatre costume department. And that's really what sold me on the fact that being a costumer, you get to create a lot of the world. Not the world of the show, just... The world in Earth. general. Earth. So, you tell a story the costumes. So, so building off of that, um, the idea of creating a story through the costumes, um, what's it like coming back for the, I was going to say sequel, but I guess reboot is more accurate um, of Hamlet? It's exciting, because first of all, nobody 
outgrew their costumes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I don't have to start from scratch. So I get to do something that in a short run production, I don't know if we get to do, which is to tweak the costumes a little bit, you know, adding this, you know, taking that away. So I get a chance to do things that as the production was running, I thought, oh, I wish I had. And in talking to the actors, finding out that their their characters are taking different directions too, and maybe tweaking the costumes a little bit to suit that change. I have lace for you. You'll have to wonder who who that was addressed to. <laughs> podcast on. That's right. Might even have just been a random Starbucks patron. Right. For all you know, I mean, who doesn't want could free lace? It could have been. Um. Is there anything, so I know you've, uh, from watching the show and having your own wish list of things that you wanted to implement last year and then from talking to the actors, is there anything that has changed in the script, either explicitly or in terms of themes that have affected something you want to do with the costume? Well, the first thing is the uh, limitations of the performance space. Since we can't use blood, I have to do a lot more trick costuming, if you will. Right. And uh, so that's fun for me. I do like to do that. And I'll just tweak the one that Rob was using and, you know, get to play with special effects a little bit more. That's fun. Um, And just as I watch the new characters developing, the ability to personalize the costume a little bit more than I did the first time around. Mm-hmm. Add sleeves, remove sleeves. Add sleeves, remove sleeves, yeah. Tight sleeves. I hope not mine. <laughs> Ooh, my biceps. My poor, poor biceps. Um, everyone's laughing. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Were there any of the costumes in the original run that you you weren't you weren't quite satisfied with? That anything that you looked at, went, I could have changed that. Really, yes, absolutely. Um, Colonius's costume was one that, for lack of funds, I couldn't do really what I wanted to. Uh, but yeah, that one I'm reworking totally. And Laertes' collar there, I'm going to rework that a little bit. Yeah, there are things that. You know, when I saw them on stage, we're, we're okay, but can be so much better. Hmm. It's kind of, uh, I mean, this is true of the director to some extent and, and other members of the production staff, but it must be an interesting way to work on a show that you do the bulk of your work and then fit the actors into their costumes and then, at a certain point, with the exception of fixing things that have ripped, um, you sort of like let the baby bird yes. go. You do. You have, you know, in, in productions where I have longer runs, I'm always, you know, I'm always doing something different to it because I can. Um, but it does come a point where you have to just let it go right. and be what it is, you know. Unless you can convince the director to bring it to a festival next year. Right, 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 right. Well, and it's a good thing that we were talking about it when we closed because I held on to the costumes differently than I would have had it been a production that 
has done, you know, costumes have not gone into another production and become something else. Right. <laughs> you know? They they very easily could have. Oh, very it? much so, especially the players' costumes. Yeah, they're very basic. One thing I know about you, Lori, is that you are always working on a show. It seems, if not seven shows at once. Um, can you talk to the particular challenges of costuming more than one show at a time? Oh, sure. I mean, just there's just the physical time commitment. Truly, sometimes to keep my story straight. Like right now, since I'm working on Anthony and Cleopatra, I'm not going to put anybody in Hamlet in uh, Toga. But there's a much different mindset when you're constructing togas as opposed to the fitted costumes. Yeah. So it's it's really just keeping the focus and learning how to prioritize what's going on. And that's not always easy because everybody wants it now. Yeah. No, we want it yesterday. Well, right? yes, that's true. Time is weird. Let's not get into that on this podcast, Jacob. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. Yes. Thank you, Time. Um, oh, I had a thought and I ruined it with my stupid joke. <laughs> Welcome to the club, Jacob. Welcome to the club. So in terms of um, coming up with the, the concept in the first place for what a show will look like. Uh, you come into a project, the director already has an idea of what universe it's happening in? Usually, yes. Okay. If there is one answer to this, uh, what, where do you usually start in, in creating the, the look? Um, well, after, after talking with the director and finding out his or her vision, which is important because that's why I don't direct, because I would have a vision of what I want to see, and if it didn't turn out that way, I would be very frustrated. <laughs> so, um, first of all, getting that straight about what the director's vision is as much as you can tell me of that. But personally, um, after I get the basic concept, I'm motivated by color. I start, first of all, choosing palettes, because I like to tell a story through color. So that's often my starting point, okay? The, um, the artist's family is going to be the eyes of well. They're going to be in this color, and Hamlet will be in this color, and, and where do those colors take me? Who else is in that color? Who's a mix of that? So that's really where, personally, I like to start. And do you think about, I know that I have worked with other designers who choose colors by associations with those colors? Yeah, oh, is absolutely. It, is it a combination of that and just... Uh, what looks nice, What, looks, <laughs> what <laughs> looks nice. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes it's a personal association. Sometimes I tend not to like to go with traditional associations with color. Mm. It can get a little cheesy, but sometimes that's that works, you know. I also like movement in costumes, so I try to think how I can create a piece that has some kind of movement on it, you know, and I think that goes back to my dance costumes. So, um, more specifically, uh, what, what kind of colors slash movements did you really draw in from this, this show in particular? Well, the original, the original idea that we 
Manhattan, I spoke, was very different with the, than what the final concept was. Um, and I started out with jewel tones, was the colors that we decided that would be nice for this piece. And then um, I was trying to avoid black because the black floor, and then the further we got into working on the floor, the black was not a problem. So it became black with jewel tones a lot of the time. Um, and then going from there. Um, and then of course, the painting on each costume, because the original concept, if you remember, was mazes and, and Hamlet working through the maze of this problem. And so that's why you see the uh, little square maze on everybody's costume. Except, if I remember, there's one circle maze, right? Ophelia, that's right. And mostly because, at least in the way we presented the original version, she's the only one in the play that doesn't fly. She's the only one that doesn't get caught up in the trap, you know, and, and creating her own world. She's just more straightforward. How is the process of working with actors? At which point you usually have something besides measuring them. You've got a thing for them to put on. Uh, and I imagine that there are varying levels to which actors feel strongly or, or even just how much they care about that part because it's easy to get wrapped up in whatever you're freaking out about about your performance. Yeah, at this company, I have very few problems with that. You know, knowing the physicality the show, I wanted to make sure everybody could move in their costumes. That was probably the most important thing. That you know, none of the fight scenes were being hit by costume pieces. Um, yeah, I, I, I want an actor to feel good in their costume. That's important to me, to a point. You know, I, I've had worked with actors before who they weren't pretty. On stage, we're upset, even if their characters shouldn't have been. No. You can say my name. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Um, but in this this company, I'm not really an issue with that. I think, I think first of all, the plays came out, met met the character was doing pretty well. And as a whole, the look is great. Sometimes that's the problem too. What you like is making visual may only be a part of the picture. Right. You know? And sometimes actors forget that. But not in this company. We had a problem with that. Go us. Yes. All right. Do your so, um, this has apparently become a tradition that in every episode we ask our guest if the cast of Hamlet were to get into a brawl. Who would come out on top? <laughs> Are you talking characters or the actors? Generally speaking, actors, but if you have an opinion on characters, that works too. I'm not saying this because she's sitting here. I put my money on Anne. <laughs> the safe bet. Yes. I, I wouldn't tangle with her. Uh, yeah. Or her brother. Either one of them is going to take us down. 
the other safe bet. <laughs> oh, have I given the stock answer? Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's great. I'm glad we've established this. <laughs> and just to just to explain what has probably become obvious through context and just just explicitly lay it out there, Anne and Rob are siblings. Yes. Uh, is that why you costumed Anne slash Rosencrantz as a Nordic ninja type <laughs> person? Yeah, it was kind of. Uh, watching her in rehearsals the first time around, she was pretty fierce. And, yeah, so <laughs> that's why the uh, t-shirt you know, that, that started that, because I saw that. I like the Nordic ninja. That's a good idea. It's very clear who the badass one in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern is. Uh, so yeah. what are you? I get to ask a question. Oh gosh, I'm the one with the mustache. <laughs> and that's um, that actually leads perfectly into to my question, which is um, what are the sort of weird requests slash questions from actors that you get all the time that you wouldn't necessarily expect well, of course, facial hair. Do I have to shave my beard? Do I have to grow a beard? My wife hates beards. That kind of thing. But that's to be expected. You know, the toughest one, it's not really one of the toughest ones when actors have a sentimental piece of jewelry that they don't want to remove. And that's a tough one. Because, you know, for example, I don't see, you know, Hamlet running around with a friendship bracelet or he didn't do that but you know it's, it's, I don't know Hamlet and Horatio are <laughs> well no like maybe they both have pretty <laughs> uh, they're pretty uh, lovey yeah I've had, I've had actors I had one actor um, who had a pendant that was there on a wedding and didn't want to take that off and that was tough because it had nothing to do with the character finally flipped it and sewed it into the back of the <laughs> Never to be seen again. <laughs> but it's usually, it's usually something about a personal like that. Mm. Something sentimental they've never taken off. Yeah. Um. People who are concerned about body parts, I mean, there are those. <laughs> Body parts that they don't they want, want exposed they want to or they don't or want to see. Uh, so, this is going to sound like a stupid thing to say. Costumes have a lot of opportunity to be to have. Costumes are cool. Let me start with my thesis, <laughs> and then, for example, in terms of. Um, practical effects, like you'll see things like Laertes's magically appearing chest wound, or um, a classic example is really creative ways of affecting a quick chain with magnets and tricks. And are there tricks that you have always wanted to use that you're just waiting for the opportunity? Or do you have an example of something that you recently got to use for the first time that you've been waiting to? I tell you one of the things I really want to do are the costumes within a costume within a costume. Mm. Yeah. Um, you may see, quick change artists use them. 
you know, right. that it's a part of the skirt is folded up and then they go behind the curtain and let it down and they're in something totally different. I've never had a quick change uh, that I had to do that way. Uh, I don't know that want to have to do it that way, <laughs> but it's something that I'd, I'd like to explore a little bit. Most costume changes are, you know, ripping something off or putting something on or something, right. you know, Velcro, magnets. Um, you know what I would do? I would like to go back and do a dance company again. I haven't done a dance company in a long time. It would be fun to, to do that now with several years more experience. I was going to say that you should um, build costumes for drag queens because uh, I, I think that they've got a lot of opportunities. Weekend, and I was thinking that, oh my gosh, this would be a great gig to have, wouldn't it? Because, mm. yeah, there's over All the kinds top of encouraged, right? Yes. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. I would love to do that. Which, which costume in Hamlet are you most proud of? I guess point blank. Oh, that's a good question. Well, I was really happy with the way Laertes' move turned out. I thought that was, you know, for a low-budget production, I know it's very simple. I love the way that Hamlet looks. Like that look to just the... And Ophelia's dress. They're, this is a lovely cast to dress. And that, that makes my clothes look all much better. Oh, and Ghost. That was fun. She gestured to Roger, who was also, also in Starbucks. <laughs> Physically, not spiritually. <laughs> Possibly both. And a, a cool component to just talking about Hamlet's costume reminded me that often there is a, a, a next step in seeing the characters both visually and in terms of their expression that oh. once they put the clothes on they're like oh yes oh very much so oh right i'm wearing a crown i'm the stinking king that's one of my favorite things uh, that actors often tell me you know, once you get the clothes on you become that person much Readily, and even making a little difference in how you stand, how you carry yourself. And I like that. All of the actors at the table just adjusted their posture as Ari was speaking and nodded enthusiastically in many cases. <laughs> I like it when it works, as we all do, right? Yes. This has come together because, just like anybody else in the. Creative process. What is in your head may not be what comes off the machine necessarily. Yeah. Right. I'm glad you said what comes off the machine in that particular wording. Do you have um, what's what's your relationship with your tools? Like any artist, it's pretty. I have bonds with different machines for different things. You know, I have a sewing machine that I use solely for sewing, you know, flimsy, light fabrics. I have an old treadle singer that I use for sewing leather because it'll sew through anything. Um, yeah, I do. And, and then 
you guys know my little kit that I carry around. There are tools in there that if you touched them, I would hurt you. Good to know. We know. Especially my scissors. We know about the scissors. Do you name anything? I don't. I don't. I'm not one of those people that gives names to things like that. I tend not to name inanimate objects. Very often. I don't even name animal objects. I'm not sure Lori knows our names. Yeah. Hey, you. She actually just refers to us by the fabric we're wearing. <laughs> you in the jersey. You in the cotton. Yeah. <laughs> it's really awkward when I don't know the blend of fabrics I'm wearing. Um, yeah. You know, that's another thing, too, you didn't talk about, is, is the choice of fabrics is huge. That's, you know, one thing about this show is I wanted that all the fabrics that draped really well. Well, and I think that's what made me back to Polonius's costume. It didn't drape the way I wanted it to. And that's what bothered me more about it than anything. So, that's yeah, the texture. That's, after color comes texture to me. Comes texture to me. Texture comes to me. Oh, no, as long as you don't put an adverb in the middle of infinitive. That's right. Like, oh, 2B isn't an infinitive. That's just a prepositional phrase which interestingly could not be split grammatically because it was in keeping with Latin right. where yes, the infinitive was a single word, word right. and you couldn't put another word in the middle of the word except you can do that now too yes I'm glad that you went there because I was feeling weird about I'm having to discussing split infinitives yes we're getting off topic See, but I'm, that's just between you and me yeah <laughs> Th this this topic sh shift doesn't surprise me much as Lori was my childhood librarian. <laughs> as, as a librarian and someone with a dance background and someone with an extensive knowledge of fabrics, is it fair to say that you are nerdy? Oh my gosh, with a capital N. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um... I've consulted you on such things as uh, what kind of suspenders was invented first. What is uh, a favorite nugget of sartorial trivia that you would like to share with our podcast audience? I have one that recently, Chris knew about this, is that I did extensive research into the clothing of the 60s, and I found it very fascinating that, you know, what we people tend to associate with the 60s is really the early 70s, for, the, for the, you know what I mean, the, about 1967 is when the shift started to what we see now associated with the 60s, and prior to that, I think Mad Men. Right. Earlier on in that, you know, it was really much more like the 50s. So, um, I just think it's interesting how we associate a style of clothing with a decade. That, right. Whether or not it was actually... Right, right, right. The other, my other favorite thing to research is, believe it or not, undergarments. 
No, I want to know some undergarment facts. <laughs> Don't we all? Uh, well, I'm doing Rome right now, so the uh, Roman men wore something that looked very much like a diaper. Yeah. Good luck to them. <laughs> What's the weirdest thing you've ever been asked to build for a show? <laughs> Nuns habit with leather uh, and garter belt and cowboy boots underneath it for a reveal for a very um, large male. It was a hot pink and purple habit. Was this for one of the nonsenses or something? No, completely this different? was for the Americans. <laughs> right, I understand now. More of the cast is here now. Oh, really? She just had a party. Yeah. Um, since we've got a few minutes left. And we've, we've established that you have a sort of process you move through, starting with color and into texture and movement. So what I'd like to do is to have Chris and I each give you a couple of, like, one-sentence pitches for a concept mm-hmm. of a show, and just walk us through where, you, where you'd start. Oh, sounds like fine. Do we want to constrain ourselves to Shakespeare? Let's constrain ourselves to Shakespeare. All right. Oh, no. <laughs> you've, you've read all of them, right? Yes. <laughs> All right, Timon of Athens in space. I don't know anything about Timon of Athens. That's sad. All right, would you like to? Would you like to go first, or would oh, I go first? Um, I thought you just did. Oh, I didn't. I mean, you can if you have a thought for Timon of Athens in space. By all means. I've always wanted to do a Shakespeare in space, <laughs> but it, I think it has to almost be a comedy because. Yeah, it's become a cliche at this point. Yeah, you're right. Otherwise, you're. I like. I, well, go ahead. Find me a, give me a, give me a scenario. All right. Find it. Drag queen slash king Macbeth. Genders distributed however you'd like. I don't think I would do it with all men. Okay. Let's do all men. And French Revolution. Interesting. Right. Big wigs, tall public wigs, heels, and maybe that's an underwear show hmm. where everybody is just, oh, that would be a good one, or like having people start semi-dressed and as the show progresses, pieces come off, so maybe in just undergarments, Alright, adding that on my list of shows to pitch Delory to do in yeah, real life later. That looked like a bucket list phase right there. Alright, um, Spaghetti Western, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Alright, that's fun. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, how cheesy do you want to be? How cheesy do you want to be? I don't like cheesy. I really don't. I don't do it well. Spaghetti Western. 
should be making that in Juliet. Maybe. Because now I'm thinking is uh, Oklahoma and I want to go in that direction. Romeo's <laughs> <laughs> in. He's a desperado. A desperado. And Juliet is the daughter of the. Mayor of the town, so she is prim, pure, proper. Desperado comes to town as the as the Montague family. Hatfields and McCoys, I like it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, but I see them as see. I'm seeing the Western costumes as being you know, skinny jeans and something you know, not typical, not not practical cowboy garb. I want them looking like they came off of chaps. I can dig that. Yeah, and then we can have saloons, I think. A party in a saloon, right? Yes. Now I want to play her piano. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The player playing piano specifically from the uh, the HBO version of Westworld where it plays contemporary music. <laughs> yes. Do you have any final uh, thoughts to share? Just that I am so excited to be doing this. One, to get a chance to revisit probably one of my two favorite productions that I've ever worked on. Just in all you know, the look, past, it's just a magical thing. It seems to be coming back in a very different way, but and, uh, it's great to be revisiting it. So, one minute to places. Thank you, one. <laughs> and thank you for listening to Thank You Places, hosted by us, Chris J. M. Maloney and Jacob C. McDonald. Our guest today was Lori Rabler. Music written and produced by Four Paws. Special thanks to the First Church in Marlboro and some horrific combination of the names Jillian and Ariel Zuckerman. Followed by the phrase, close enough. Jacob, I miss you. Please don't make me do the outro again. Close enough. This has been a production of Ghost Life Slayers. Slayers. A non-profit, a non-profit theater troupe from Marlboro, Marlboro Massachusetts. Massachusetts. If you liked what you heard here, you'll, you'll love, love the other things we make. Visit www.ghostlightplayers.com or find us on the newfangled social media at GLL Bye. Ciao. Exit stage. Adieu, adieu, remember me or whatever. <laughs> <laughs>